Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing. Member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. We turn our attention to the markets this week. U.S. CPI endeavors reinforcing concerns about inflation. The financial stories that shape our world. A really different reaction to the markets. More indications of just how hot the U.S. economy really is. Through the eyes of the most influential voices. Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary. Catherine Keating, CEO of BNY Mellon. Sam Zell, chairman and founder of Equity Group Investment. Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Ratcheting up the rhetoric over Ukraine and interest rates all around the world. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. This week, contributors Larry Summers of Harvard on those rate hikes and whether we're starting to see some cracks. When you get as far behind the curve as the Fed did, then you really have to hit the brakes very, very hard. And Steve Ratner of Willett Advisors on the problem with equities. Our equity exposure is down to the lowest levels it's been in our 12 or 13 years of existence. It was a week of coming to terms with a war in Ukraine that is not going away as President Biden went to the United Nations to lay the blame squarely on President Putin. This world should see these outrageous acts for what they are. Putin claims he had to act because Russia was threatened, but no one threatened Russia. And no one other than Russia sought conflict. And President Putin warned about just how far he is willing to go. 
I would like to remind those who allow themselves to make such statements about Russia that our country also has various means of destruction, which in some cases is even more modern than what NATO countries have. And when the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will certainly use all the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. This week, we also had to come to terms again with tightening monetary policy. Central banks around the world added a total of 700 basis points to their rates, with the Bank of England going up another 50, Swiss National Bank up 75, putting it into positive territory for the first time in almost eight years, and the Federal Reserve adding another 75 basis points with no suggestion that it is close to being done. We've just moved, I think, probably into the very, the very lowest level of what might be restrictive. And, and certainly in my view and the view of the committee, there's, uh, there's uh, a ways to go. And part of the fallout from all that tightening is an ever-strengthening dollar, with all that means for markets and for policymakers. In the end, it seems like the only currency that will sustainably win this currency war is the dollar. But what was good for the dollar was bad for just about every other market that there is, with the S&P 500 giving another 4.6% on the week, and at one point falling below its June closing low before ending just above it at 36.93. The Nasdaq was off just over 5% despite a rally on Friday, and bonds basically melted in the heat of the Fed rate increase, with the yield on the 10-year gaining nearly 25 basis points for the week while the two-year was up over 30 basis points, ending at 4.2%. To put this rather extraordinary week in context, welcome now Christina Hooper. She's chief market strategist for Invesco, and Tracy Alloway, co-host of Bloomberg's Odd Lots podcast. So welcome to both of you. Great to have you here for Wall Street Week. Let me start with you, Christina. Is the sky falling? The sky <laughs> is not falling, but markets are adjusting to very changing circumstances if I said that right, very changed circumstances. What we're doing is seeing an adjustment that is very, very significant because what the Fed and other central banks are doing, as you mentioned in the intro, is very, very significant. This is the analogy I'd use. Um, if you're lactose intolerant, you have a half a cup of milk, it's a little painful. If you have a gallon of milk, it's extraordinarily painful for a few hours. And we just drank a gallon of milk and we're lactose intolerant. Well, to, to continue that analogy a little bit, Tracy, we were told we were going to have to drink the gallon of milk. Why didn't we believe it? <laughs> this is what I don't get. So I, I think one of the reasons this week is so significant is because it really seems to me like investors have woken up to this pain messaging that Jerome Powell and other Fed members have been trying to transmit for many, many months now. I mean, we even had the Minneapolis Fed president, Neil Kashkari, come on and say pretty much explicitly, I would like to see stocks lower. I was happy when stocks fell after Jackson Hole. Tighter monetary policy works through financial conditions. They need financial conditions to get tighter. But for some reason, the market has been reluctant to take on that messaging. I really think this week is sort of the moment that everyone woke up. Now, I'm a journalist and I'm not allowed to have official opinions, but I would say that anyone who still believes in the soft landing prospects, they need to be getting worried at this point. The path to a soft landing seems narrower and narrower 
almost by Fed design. And but, as a journalist, you've talked to a lot of people who are saying something just like that. You're, you're being a good reporter there. But Christina, what did you want to say? I was just going to say, in fairness, the Fed didn't think it was going where it's going. Mm. It has its its view of inflation has evolved dramatically. Mm -hmm. If we go back to the dot plot from December of 2021, the median expected Fed funds rate for the end of 22 was 0.9 percent. Now we're at 4.4 percent. So we've seen the Fed do an incredible um, turnabout in terms of its views on inflation. So that's why I think we had the, the market reaction we did. Not everyone expected it because we didn't exactly know what the Fed was thinking. Mm. The whole purpose here, Tracy, obviously, is to get our arms around inflation, which we have not had. We lost control of it without a doubt. I think the Fed would admit that as well. What is that going to take? What does your reporting tell you about it going to take? And do we believe the Fed is up to the task? Because as Christina just said, they've had to change their theory here. Well, I think you are starting to see some signs of deceleration. And I hate to do the sort of line-by-line -line CPI analysis. Um, it's probably boring for everyone involved. But there are some technical changes coming up to health care, for instance, that are expected to take some of the acceleration out of the inflation index. But I think the big issue here, going back to the Fed and what Christina was saying, is they've misjudged the lag between rate changes and the impact on the economy. And they misjudged that going into the crisis or coming out of the immediate pandemic, um, the worst of the pandemic in March of 2020. It's fascinating. Thank you so very much. Tracy Alloway and Christina Hooper will be staying with us as we look for some shelter from the market storm for our investments. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high-yield-account. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. 
Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. First, the U.S. federal government, for the first time since Columbus set sail from Spain, had to pay a double-digit interest rate to borrow money from its citizens for six months. And two days after Treasury bills added this new chorus of how high the moon, the nation's banks began to limb their version, taking the prime rate charged to the nation's biggest corporations to an unheard of 13%. Previously unheard of, that is. Now you've heard it here. That, of course, was Louis Ruckheiser on Wall Street Week way back in September of 1979. That was when inflation was running at just under 12%. The most popular movie was Alien, and the Doobie Brothers topped the charts with What a Fool Believes, one of my personal favorites. Still with us are Christina Hooper of Invesco and Bloomberg's Tracy Alloway. Tracy, I'm going to pick on you for a minute here on the debt side, borrowing sure. money at uh, double-digit numbers. We're not there at this point. No. But at the same time, what is this environment we just described going to do for the asset of fixed income? Yeah, you know, we were talking about financial conditions earlier, and I think one of the weird things about recent market moves and history has been how sanguine the credit markets have been about inflation and higher interest rates. And I've seen various theories. Um, you know, today we actually finally saw leveraged loans, the benchmark index, down to like $93. But even then, 85 is generally considered the distressed level. Uh, so what's going on? One theory I've seen, and you you know, it's kind of a sort of moral hazard argument, but there are people who say because the Fed came in last time with the corporate bond purchasing program, maybe that's one reason we haven't seen the market panic, because they think if things get bad enough, well, the Fed will come in and it'll buy some bonds. Well, last time it didn't even have to buy bonds. It just announces that it's going to buy bonds and everything is fine. But I think people are looking for that pressure and you are starting to see some signs of it around the edges. So for instance, we saw triple C-rated junk bonds to take a little bit of a hit, but not nearly what you would have assumed looking at stocks. So what's your reaction to that, Christina? Is any form of fixed income right now sort of a haven in this very tumultuous time in the markets? Yeah, I mean, it, first I have to say, it all depends on your time horizon. Um, but And so I believe very strongly that it's important, if you've got a long time horizon, you shouldn't panic in this environment. I mean, let's look at fixed income, floating rate, but there's a, a variety of areas. Um, investment grade credit looks good. Um, I think we just have to recognize that we're going through this adjustment period. We're going back to the old normal. I mean, presumably, if the Fed doesn't cut rates again, right? And, and that was a time that was fairly good for, for equities and fixed income. Um, I think it's important to have alts in there, too. Um, but um, it is not the end of the world, as we talked about before. It's just we're going through a change. When we're talking about fixed income, uh, whether it's loans or it's bonds, we had uh, one story this week, Citrix, mm -hmm. uh, where they basically were borrowing a lot of money. And uh, the banks went out and syndicated it. They thought it would be just fine. They ended up losing something like $600 million 
billion dollars in the deal. They had to eat that money. What happened there? Is that a one-off, or does that say something broader? Well, to me, this is sort of the tail end of that buyout boom and a lot of the credit market excesses that you've seen in recent years. And one reason why leverage loans in particular are getting so much focus right now is because if you look at which asset classes had the most, um, I'm going to say enthusiasm, <laughs> uh, leverage loans would be one of them. You know, we had concerns about the quality of some of those loans for a while. We had, at various points in time, U.S. regulators trying to improve the quality of the market. And now as interest rates get higher, a lot of that pressure lands on floating rate loans because the companies that took them out are going to have to start paying more to keep up with those benchmark interest rates. And that's why you have people who are, well, at Morgan Stanley, for instance, who are looking at the leveraged loan market as the sort of canary in the coal mine of how the market is viewing recession risk. But again, we're not quite there. 85 is usually the level of distress. We are at something like 93 now. So further to go, if you're really looking for a sign that the market is panicking. Christina, if that's a fixed income, uh, what about equities? Does it make any sense to buy equities? Typically, when the discount rate goes up, you, uh, equities go down. And certainly, we're seeing that right now in the equity markets. Sure. Well, I, I do absolutely believe that. Unless you have a three- or four-month time horizon, you should be keeping your equity exposure and looking for opportunities to add to it. Mm -hmm. um, yes, there is that adjustment period when, when rates go up. Um, we do see equities tend to go down. But um, we also tend to see a recovery. It doesn't last forever. In fact, during a whole uh, Fed rate hike cycle, usually by the end, we come up with positive performance for equities. Um, and leading the way is typically the higher valuation names that got hit hardest first. Um, so this is, you know, this is to be expected. It's not fun, but it is to be expected, um, the kind of behavior we're seeing given the kind of dramatic increase in rates. But that is not um, the end for equities. So you might actually add at least selectively to growth right now? Absolutely. Is it, is it coming out of it faster than the others, do you think? I do. I do believe that, for sure. Evaluations uh, are higher there. They tend to get hit hard, but um, but there are also significant growth prospects, growth potential there at a time when the economy is clearly slowing down. Uh, so, Tracy, what do you see in other asset classes? And let me name two at random: cash and commodities. <laughs> Cash. I mean, cash is looking okay right now. I guess you're only losing 8% per year versus, <laughs> what, like 20% on some other stuff? Uh, but when we're talking about cash, I mean, it's got to be in the dollar. That's the only thing that's really working at the moment. Cash, we used to say cash is king. Now we say the dollar is king. And not only is the dollar king, it is a, a king with a wrecking ball going through other asset classes. But from what you said, the very fact that the, the dollar goes up makes commodities don't go down in general mm -hmm. over time. And so that means commodities aren't so attractive, you think, to investors right now. Well, that's exactly right. And I think that's one reason why the recent environment has been so painful for a lot of people. Because think back to the beginning of the year, commodities were seen as this inflation hedge, um, a bit of a risk-off hedge. You know, if you're worried about what's going on with Russia and the Ukraine, you can buy some wheat exposure, buy some oil exposure. You have a nice little offset to macro risk that shows up in the sort of headline indices. That's not working anymore. And I think that's one reason why the environment's been so difficult for investors. The only good news that I kind of see here is, you know, people have been having to deal with these really binary potential
potential outcomes mm -hmm. for most of the summer. You know, does inflation stay high? Do we get the dreaded wage price spiral? Or does the Fed come in, raise interest rates, bring down inflation, and you get that knock-on recession effect? I think the good news here is we're moving away from that really binary, tail-risky environment, and we seem to be moving closer to that recession scenario. I know I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> by saying recession is good for investors at this point in time, but at least you know where you're headed. Thank you so very much to Bloomberg's own Tracy Alloway and to Christina Hooper of Vesco. Coming up, the times they are a-changing, and not necessarily in a good way when it comes to equities. We talked with Steve Ratner of Willett Advisors about what the regime change in monetary policy means for equity investors. This is Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. things must come to an end. And if we still had any doubts, this week saw the Fed move even farther away from easy money as the central bank raised rates again and signaled a good deal yet to come. What we think we need to do is to move our policy rate to a restrictive level that's restrictive enough to bring inflation down to 2%. And the Bank of England followed suit. This is still the biggest back-to-back -back hike since Black Wednesday 30 years ago. While the Swedish central bank went even further, raising rates a full 100 basis points. That shift in the entire regime of monetary policy reverberates throughout investments, with rates on the 10-year and the two-year treasuries shooting up, and the dollar continuing to strengthen. You've got two-year treasuries at almost, you know, highest levels we've seen in forever. And where does that leave equities? They're certainly well off from their highs. It's never a good sign when you get these big rallies and then followed by three straight weeks of declines and you just can't seem to hold on to some of these gains. But does that make them a bargain? We have seen in the past that as we enter into recessions, uh, value companies, value stocks, uh, tend to have declines in earnings, while growth stocks actually tend to hold up fairly well. Or have we yet to see the bottom? When everyone's on this sort of race to the bottom, of, you know, who can get more bearish? who can have the more outlandish forecasts. I think I just told you where market psychology is right now. Uh, you know, sentiment, different ways to measure it. It's a global financial crisis lows. And to take us through whether it really makes sense to be investing in equities these days, we turn to somebody whose job it is to invest a substantial amount of money. He is Stephen Ratner, the chairman and CEO of Willett Advisors, which invests the personal and philanthropic assets of Michael R. Bloomberg. He is our founder and majority shareholder. So, Steve, thanks so much for being back on Wall Street Week. Uh, we, there's a lot of being talked about equities, particularly as interest rates rise. Give us a sense where you are on equities right now as an investment. And you're not a trader. You do it over the media and longer term. We're not traders, and I've always said to everybody that market timing is for fools. I think every smart investor, successful investor, has pretty much said that. But of course, we do have opinions about the equity markets, and at the margin, we do make tactical uh, tweaks and shifts to try to accommodate our view. And I would say that we have been 
very, very cautious about equities for some months now. Our equity exposure is down to the lowest levels it's been in our 12 or 13 years of existence, and we remain cautious, and interest rates are the biggest factor in that decision. So just take us through exactly how higher interest rates, which we're having not just in the United States, but almost globally at this point, how does it express itself in the value of the equities? Is that a matter of the slowdown in the economy overall, less demand for business? Is it a matter of valuations? How does it feed through to equities? Certainly there are effects on the economy overall, and one needs to think about it, but I, I, my observation over, I don't know, 40 years or so of watching equity markets is that they are keenly attuned to interest rates as a more direct transmission mechanism to equity prices, simply because interest rates are a discount, um, are discount rate on future cash flows. And it's not a coincidence that you've had the so-called unprofitable tech with the longest standing cash flows suffering the worst in this downdraft that is interest rate related, in my opinion. And so some of the more near-term cash flow producing uh, companies suffering less. I think there's a very, very direct correlation uh, between the investment opportunity in fixed income or in interest rates versus in equities. That suggests, perhaps, that uh, some equities might make more sense than other equities. That is to say, those that are generating real profits today, cash today, may be a safer bet than those where it's really in the out years. In terms of this factor, there's no question about it. And again, you can see it in the numbers over the last nine months or so since the equity markets really started to roll over, which is, uh, which is the fact that longer-dated uh, cash flows, the further out you get, biotech, startups, growth companies have been hit the worst. The NASDAQ is down a lot more than the S&P. Not a coincidence. But you say have been hit the worst. There are those who really uh, are fans of uh, growth stocks who say, you know what, they've already taken the hit. That what happens actually when you go into a slowdown or recession, they take a hit, the hit up front, but then they come out of it faster and better. Well, I'd like to see their evidence in support of that. And, and again, if you're talking about an economic slowdown, we could have that conversation that may come out of a different place. If you're talking about a situation in which there's no evidence at all that we're at the end of an interest rate cycle, then I would push back. And in fact, uh, if you look at the market as a whole, I believe it's true that the market has never really turned upward until the Fed has been done tightening. And again, there's no evidence the Fed has nearly done tightening. So the Fed has been pretty explicit. They're, they're going to keep tightening for quite a while. Do you have any projections? As you think about your investments, do you try to have any sense of how long that might be and, frankly, even what the terminal right might be? Well, we think about it more in terms of over-under. If you look at the market, the credit markets have been wildly behind the curve in predicting the Fed's been behind the curve and the credit markets have been behind the Fed in terms of their interest rate expectations. And, and so it, if you basically say, okay, well, the equity markets are taking their cue from the credit markets, you can see why we had this sort of mini bull run, if you want to even call it that, this summer when it looked like maybe interest rates were starting to plateau or something like that. Steve, thank you so much. Really great to have you. This is Stephen Ratner. He's the chairman and CEO of Willett Advisors. Coming up, we wrap up the week as we always do with our special contributor, Larry Summers of Harvard. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, 
but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing. Member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston, and we welcome back once again our special contributor, Larry Summers of Harvard. So, Larry, obviously, very big news this week from the Fed. What was your reaction to what you saw and what they did, but also heard from them? Look, I think they're moving in a necessary, painful uh, direction. It's clear that they're manifesting determination on inflation, that they're recognizing that you don't stop uh, car that's going much too fast in a completely comfortable uh, way, I think that is all welcome. I still think they're too optimistic about how easy it's uh, going to be. Their forecast that peak unemployment will be 4.5%, even as unemployment comes down, even as inflation comes down to 2%, I think is a very optimistic uh, view. It was also very optimistic when it was echoed by uh, Secretary Yellen. It's the right thing to hope for, but we're not going to beat the level of inflation that we have now out of the system without some quite substantial dislocations. No one should take any satisfaction in those dislocations or want uh, those uh, dislocations or want to see uh, anyone unemployed. But the necessary medicine from where we are is likely to involve a recession, as Chairman Powell is being increasingly uh, clear uh, in uh, recognizing. So. I'm glad to see the Fed uh, adjusting in the direction of seeing the need for more tightening 
and recognizing that unfortunately that tightening will have consequences that we've been talking about uh, on this show uh, for a year. I still think there may be a bit of underestimation of what's gonna be necessary in terms of tightening, but policy is now much closer, uh, certainly with current market expectations, uh, to the appropriate place. The market's now expecting that Fed funds will be four and three quarters percent uh, next uh, May. Little, wasn't much more than a year ago that they were forecasting that it would be zero or very close to that uh, next May. That's a major change, but when you get as far behind the curve as the Fed did, then you really have to hit the brakes very, very hard. As you know well, Larry, it's not just the United States. It's also, for example, Great Britain. And it strikes me there's a big contrast there. Certainly the Bank of England says we've got a tightening. They went up 50 basis points this week. But in the meantime, you've got a new government over there that's going for fiscal stimulus, tax cutting, and whereas at least the Biden administration is getting out of the way of the Fed. What do you make of what's going on in the U.K.? It makes me very sorry to say, but uh, I think the... UK is behaving a bit like an emerging market turning itself into uh, a submerging uh, market. There's nothing in the pattern of market response in the UK that suggests anything but fear rather than confidence in the policy approaches uh, being taken. It would not surprise me if the pound eventually gets below a dollar, if the current policy path uh, is maintained. This is simply not a moment for the kind of naive, uh, wishful thinking, supply-side economics uh, that is being pursued uh, in Britain. Between Brexit, how far the Bank of England got behind the curve, uh, and now these uh, fiscal policies, I think Britain will be remembered for having pursued the worst macroeconomic policies of any major uh, country uh, in a long time. I hope that at some point uh, this policy package will be reversed or that somehow I am misjudging uh, the situation, but uh, I am very fearful uh, for Britain on the path that it is uh, traveling. Well, let's even go beyond the United States and the UK. Uh, this week, central banks around the world added 700 basis points to interest rates. So it's a, a global phenomenon at this point. The one thing that comes out of all of it is a newly strengthened dollar. I mean, it sets record after record after record. What does that mean for the global economy? Look, a, a strong dollar is causing inflation in the United States to be lower than it otherwise would be because it reduces import prices but it's pushing inflation up everywhere else. And because the dollar is the currency of international trade, it's taking lubrication out of the system and it's putting extra burdens on countries that have borrowed because when they've borrowed in foreign currency, it's usually been uh, in the dollar. So this is going to 
complicate uh, macroeconomic management in uh, many countries. There's going to be continuing, I fear, uh, distress. Countries are attempting to counteract this with intervention, as the Japanese uh, did. I think we've mostly learned that when you're intervening against the trend, when you're intervening against the direction of monetary policy, which is certainly the case in Japan, your intervention is as likely to create opportunities for speculators as it is to really be effective in changing the path of uh, currencies. So I think this is going to be an issue that is going to uh, be with us uh, for uh, some uh, time. But I suspect for the period ahead, countries are going to have to be adjusting to uh, a very strong U.S. dollar. This week, we learned that Tom Brady is a, his own form of maybe quiet quitting. He's just going to work four days a week from now on. He's going to take Wednesdays off. Is there a larger issue here, do you think, in the United States economy of people not being willing to work so hard? I'm seeing some evidence of that, at least uh, anecdotally. People may work a bit shorter hours when they're uh, working at home. People may be just a little more prone uh, in an economy that is so red hot and where you can get a new job uh, easily to tell their bosses uh, where to uh, take it. We've had this phenomenon for the last half year or so of terrible, terrible productivity performance. Some of that's probably just an offset to the strong performance we had earlier. But it may be that people are just working a little less hard. You know, if everybody worked a seven hour and 45 minute day rather than an eight hour day, practically, that would be the equivalent of a 3% uh, wage increase. Uh, or equivalently, a 3% decline in uh, productivity. Okay, Larry, thank you so much. Always great to have you with us as our special contributor on Wall Street Week. He's Larry Summers of Harvard. Finally, one more thought. Investments are going down the drain. The era of cheap money brought with it some pretty lofty valuations, particularly when it comes to tech firms, with valuations so rich that they were expressed as price to sales rather than price to earnings, with Google peaking at a price 8.9 times its sales, Netflix reaching over 14 times sales at one point, and Facebook making it up to just under 15 times sales. Well, those wells of easy money are drying up, and with them some of the astronomical valuations, all because the Federal Reserve, like just about every other central bank in the developed world, is committed to raising rates to get inflation back down toward that 2% target. We're not at that level. Clearly today, we're, you know, we're just, uh, we, we've just moved, I think, probably into the very, the very lowest level of what might be restrictive. But never fear, there is one place where valuations are as high as a tidal wave, or even higher. But it's not in tech, it's in, wait for it, sewers. Yes, sewers, home to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Legends of Alligators, and of course, tons and tons of waste and water treatment. 
in a Bloomberg column, Liam Denning takes us through a deal announced for the renewables company Next Era Energy to buy the sewer and water system of Tawamensen. That's a small township 30 miles north of Philadelphia. And the price? Well, the price was $115 million. Now, that's not a big deal for a $170 billion company. But take a look at the valuation, a whopping 21 times revenue, way more than Apple or Microsoft or Facebook ever dreamed of. A Next Era executive promised the town council that not all of that purchase price would be reflected in higher rates. We offered a $115 million purchase price. And as I, I think it's very important to express that we do not intend to recover that full purchase price from the customers. But whether customers foot the whole bill or not, Next Era looks to make money on this deal. Rates for water are expected to ramp up substantially in coming years. And if you're a resident of Tawamensen, there are definitely some remaining questions. Why are we selling this thing? This is a gold mine. Why are you doing this? That does it for this episode of Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. This is Bloomberg. See you next week. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.